everyone. Over 56,000 students in HISD are being impacted by a partnership that just ended. Plus, is the Astros dynasty over? And what's that gigantic building being built on Montrose across from Buffalo Bayou Park? Houston Chronicle writer Marco Torres and Pulitzer Prize finalist Evan Mintz join me to talk about these stories and more. It's Friday, October 27th, 2023. I'm Rahil Ramzanali, and here's what Houston's talking about. Marco, Evan, happy Friday. Welcome in. Marco, excited to have you here for the first time on a Friday episode. So I'm going to jump right into it because I saw a list that was trending on X, on Twitter, on Instagram, everywhere. Places you cannot take women for a first date. So we saw places like the Cheesecake Factory, Applebee's, Chili's, Wingstop, Red Lobster, Chipotle, the movies, your house. There's 28 spots, okay? But instead of keeping it negative and talking about places we shouldn't take women for first dates, what was your go-to Houston spot for first dates that you would take a date? Marco, I'm going to start with you. There was a place on West Timer. I don't even know if it's still there. It probably still is. It was called uh, Romano's Macaroni Grill. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, thought it, I thought it was the coolest thing. You know, Italian food. You go in. You know, they, they ask you if you want wine. They give you, you know, uh, some really good food. And it's kind of a nicer place. Not exactly like the nicest place in the world, but not like, you know, Olive Garden. It's like a step above mm. Olive Garden. I used to love taking dates there because then you can... You know, hang out on West Timer, just, you know, drive down and listen to music or kind of hang out. So I used to love that place. Nice. I like that. How about you, Evan? It's been so long since I've gone on a date. I'm trying to remember where I took people. Uh, but uh, is it bad if I say Marfrela's? Does that make me look bad? <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> I Yeah, I thought Marfrela's was always a great uh, date spot. You know, it's cozy. It's dark. And this is back when they always played classical music. It was very chill. And you could chat and you get drinks. And if they had never been there before and they see like, why are you taking me to this like weird door underneath a fire escape? And you're like, oh, <laughs> it's a speakeasy. It's a bar. Like they'd be impressed by that. So, yeah, I'd, I'd go to Marfrela's. Nice. That's a good pick right there. I would pick Damaris Barbecue. That was the easiest one to meet up at. Food was really good, you know, priced well. So you can hang out there and it was just nice place to be. So I would always do Damaris Barbecue. That sounds good. All right. That sounds cool. All right. Let's get to our biggest story of the week. Marco, you are first up. What do you got for us? Man, there's a heartbreak every season sometimes. And uh, this year was the Astros again. Um, they went to seven straight ALCS, but they were one game away from the World Series. I don't know if this was more of a heartbreak than the year they, you know, lost against the Braves or against the uh, Washington, but this one kind of hurt. You know, I was I was really hoping they were gonna bring it back. I thought Altuve was gonna make a home run or something, and he did, but it didn't really mean much. You know, our pitching yeah. kind of let us down, and now, you know, Dusty's uh, announcing his retirement. We got some free agents coming up in the off season, so. Who knows? You know, I don't know if the glory days of the Astros have gone to the wayside, but, you know, there's always next year. 
You know, I will say this for Astros fans. If we want to make a comparison to another dynasty of late, the Golden State Warriors mm, and what yeah. they did, right? Like they had this incredible run where they were in the finals or winning the finals. Then they missed the playoffs and they came back and won it two seasons ago now. So there is hope that it's not over. Like the core is still there. The Astros are still really good. So things are going to be okay. Like everyone needs to take a chill pill. They still have a nice core. They'll have a new manager, as you mentioned. They have to figure out some stuff. But yeah, it is weird that the Astros are not in the World Series. And for the first time in two years, Evan, trick-or-treating is something that we can do without stressing out and running home. Like we got to go catch the game. We can actually enjoy it this year. Oh, yeah. No, there's a whole like world of autumnal activities you can do without having to worry about missing baseball. But, you know, growing up in Houston in the era of like Bagwell and Biggio, I'm just kind of used to seeing the Astros get close and then fall. And that just feels like natural to me. It feels what I expect from the Astros. I was frustrated because how they went out, right, like getting blown out. It's fine. It happens. But to the Rangers. Uh. You had yeah. two chances again to win a series. They did this against the Nationals as well, where they could not win a home game. They do it again. So I'm going to say something controversial here. I think the Astros, this core is a resilient group, but I don't think they're a clutch group. What are y'all's thoughts mm. on that? The games spoke for themselves. You know, pitching wasn't all the way there. They left so many men on base. I mean, there's not much you can ask for. You just need to get hits. You don't always need to make home runs, but you need to get hits, get them off the bases. That was it. You just got to do something. And now the other thing with the Astros missing the World Series is what's the economic impact going to be, right? Because for the last two years, bars around downtown, bars around the city, they had this economic boost of the World Series and everybody was showing up and they're not going to have that this year. So I bet their numbers are going to look a little different after this year. Oh yeah, I have a friend uh, who's a beer rep, and she said one of the one of her accounts, you know, asked asked her for enough pallets of beer, is as if the Astros were already going to win and go to the World Series. You know, hopefully they get to sell that <laughs> sometime soon because yeah, that's a lot of pallets of beer. And one last thought on this, Evan. I don't know if you can hear this knocking. This is me knocking. Okay. I this hear is, you. That's Mattress Mac coming to your house to get that payment <laughs> for that overpriced mattress that you just bought thinking that it was going to be free. So it's time to pay Mattress Mac as well. Oh, man, what stood out to me was seeing a picture of him at the Astros game sitting next to Ken Paxton. Like, buddy, I thought you were anti-crime. I thought you didn't want to pal around with criminals. The guy's facing felony charges. You know, give yourself a little space. Wait for him to go to trial. See what happens. Not to mention the Ted Cruz curse. Oh. Every game that Ted Cruz has gone to the uh, Minimate, he they've lost. So, hey, kick that guy out. Ted, watch from home. Stay at home. Yeah. You got a nice house. Just, like, chill there. Exactly. We knew we were in trouble when Cancun Cruz was there and the Astros were like, <laughs> I guess we got to start planning for Cancun. He's here. <laughs> hey, buddy, you took the trip, not me. <laughs> All right, Evan, let's get to your biggest story of the week. What do you got? Oh, uh, the biggest story this week, uh, I'm bringing it back to Houston politics, the recording of Sheila Jackson Lee 
cursing out her staffers. It leaked at the end of last week. She issued an apology on Monday. But this is probably the most exciting thing to happen in the mayoral race. Like, you know that we're in the middle of early voting when the punches are coming, when the October surprises are getting dropped. Uh, As a result of this recording, the Harris County Young Democrats withdrew their endorsement of Sheila Jackson Lee, though they'd already had this weird joint endorsement of Senator Whitmire and, and Lee. So it was kind of odd to me already. But I've got to say, at least something's happening. And also, at least you get to see a little bit of one of the candidates' personality. She curses out people. She doesn't take stuff. She was mad at them for not getting a bunch of documents together, having her scheduled together how she expected them to. And you know, if somebody's running the city, maybe you want them to get mad when their staff aren't doing their jobs right. You know, maybe you want someone willing to go to the rhetorical mat when it comes to perfection for running the city. I just kind of think her campaign should have leaned into this. She's always had a reputation for being a mean boss. Maybe they leak some of their own recordings of her like chewing out a slumlord or like cursing out, you know, someone in D.C. who's not doing their job and just show like, yeah, she's mean, but she'll be mean for you. And that's how they spun it, right? It was like, look, she's passionate about her job. I get it. I talked to Brooke about this as well earlier in the week. And like, it doesn't bother me. I Look, I'm going to assume that a lot of people are mean. A lot of people mistreat people. But you can be nicer in the way you talk to somebody and expect to get things done. Like, you don't have to call them F face and MF them the whole time. Like, you can get things done without that. No, and, and that's absolutely true. It's like one of those things like if you like you said before, if you go on a date and then the date is, you know, talking bad about the servers and the waiters and, you know, and the bartenders, you know, are you really going to go on a second date? You probably not. So it's all about how you talk to people, how you respect, you know, give respect to people. And yeah, this wasn't a good look for her. But, but I've got to say, you know, we're in the middle of uh, early voting. Where are the hits on Whitmire? Like that guy's been in politics for decades. I've heard plenty of dirty stories about him, you know, overlaps and responsibilities between his day job and his job as a legislator. And just the guy seems so slimy every now and then. So where are the punches against him? Like it hasn't happened yet. Is Sheila Jackson Lee's campaign waiting for the runoff? What's going on there? I, I've kind of let down that we haven't seen the bullets flying in all directions. And also, you know, I just kind of wish that Houston got a little bit more cultural cachet nationally because this feels like a perfect example of something for a Saturday Night Live sketch. You know, here's Sheila Jackson Lee coming out. She's cursing at the staffers. She's cursing at Grackle. She's cursing at bad traffic. She's cursing at the Astros pitching coaches. She's cursing at a hurricane. That's just what she does. She just curses at everything. Sheila Jackson Lee with Bad Bunny on SNL. Sounds good to me. (laughs) Yeah, I think it'd be hilarious. (laughs) That would be pretty funny. Do you think this impacts her run and will voters actually, you know, care by not voting? I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm pretty connected to politics. So the fact that Sheila Jackson Lee cursed out people isn't a surprise to me. I've always heard that she was a bad boss and that feels already baked into the calculation. But maybe folks just kind of paying attention the first time or just watching this on the news and not sure who to cast their ballots for were shocked by this. And, you know, go back to the the Harris County Young Democrats who withdrew their endorsement. That could have an impact. All right, my biggest story is impacting 56,500 students and over 2,500 HISD teachers. HISD and Verizon are no longer working together after Verizon said HISD didn't show any interest in continuing their partnership, which provided over 56,000 students and, as I mentioned, 2,500 teachers 
free high-speed internet, and also a device to get on the internet. The program, The Digital Promise, started in 2020, and many of the participating HISD schools served large numbers of Black and Latino students in lower-income neighborhoods, especially on the district's north and east side, according to Houston Landing's Asher Layer Small. The district did not say if there's a new program on the way or if they are going to renew talks with Verizon, But all Verizon was saying is like, hey, HISD showed no interest in this. And now, because of that, even in 2023, there's a digital divide for 56,000 students and over 2,500 teachers. Like, this is so frustrating. And I hope there is something else in the works because we cannot let that many students be left out. Now, I think you really hit on something here. When the TEA took over HISD, they had the sense that we're going to take out all of the fat. They were going to really focus on the basics, make sure kids are getting the support they need. But it turns out maybe some of those jobs in administration were doing important things, like responding to inquiries from telecom companies who wanted to give you free internet access. Any thoughts, Marco? It's really cool now that kids have laptops and uh, iPads or whatever, uh, tablets. But, you know, what are you going to do when when you go home and, and you don't have internet or you at the school, you have spotty internet, you know, you need you need some sort of sponsors and companies like this to come and help the education process. And yeah, it's sad that unfortunately there's not enough staff to to you know create those links. And the other thing this program provided was it would provide coaching for students and teachers who needed help with devices, with internet, so they would be connected. And just to lose that resource, and again, we're not sure HISD did not respond to Houston Landing about what the future of this program is or if there is another program on the way. So we don't know as of now, but this, you know, this gave a lot of resources to students and to see it just disappear. And again, as a free program, gosh, it just hurts my heart, man, because again, there is a digital divide. And what that means is not everyone has internet. Not everyone has the ability to surf and learn and get online and they have a device that they can use. So it's real, even in 2023, and this program was closing that gap a little bit, but now it's gone. That's just a shame. It really is. All right, Marco, let's get to your most overlooked story of the week. What do you got? So I I was reading, you know, uh, something over at cron.com, and uh, apparently there's been a second discrimination lawsuit uh, that had to do with the Post Oak Hotel over near the Galleria. Apparently, a couple months ago, there was a lawyer that was wearing a baseball cap and he was, quote unquote, harassed that he wasn't in dress code. But then there was, you know, so many people wearing ripped jeans and, you know, tennis shoes and all kinds of baseball caps and everything around them. Now, there's a second lady who says she was uh, at the bar or at the restaurant inside of the hotel and she was told to cover up because her dress was too revealing. And but there were other patrons also you know wearing the similar outfits so it's kind of interesting to see how this happens a lot one of my first stories for the houston press back in the day was a similar story about discrimination going into clubs or uh, restaurants on washington avenue and it's it's pretty crazy how this happens you know and, and i don't know if money talks i don't know if it is racism i don't know exactly what it is i'm sure the doorman or whoever isn't aren't, you know, doing this on their own accord. They're probably getting, you know, notes from management or whatever, but it's kind of sad. You know, one of the nicest hotels, and I've been to this hotel. It's an amazing hotel. I've stayed there. I've had drinks there. I've had food there. And, you know, it's it's sad that, that things like this still happen in, in our world. But, hey, you know, that sucks. 
Yeah, I like to say that the, the Post Oak Hotel is like a little slice of Vegas in Houston, for better or worse. Houston is a place with so many different types of people from around the world, where it's a city without a dress code. You can just kind of show up and do whatever. But when you've got a place like the Post Oak that wants to differentiate itself from the rest of the city, you know, set itself aside, it acts differently and not always in good ways. You know, the crazy thing about this in 2023 is that now when you go up to a patron and tell her you cannot wear this because it's revealing your shoulders or you go up to a lawyer or whoever it is, right? And say, hey, you can't have a cap on. They can now just take pictures and gather evidence. (laughs) And you don't even have to do that. In this case, Marco, that you're talking about, the plaintiff just simply pointed out somebody else's Instagram account, a lady who was there at the same time and has been at the hotel before and he's sitting in the same area and she's violating dress code, but nobody told her anything. And it's crazy that, you know, we can get away with this, but they're not getting away. The Post Oak is facing these lawsuits and we'll see what happens with the lawsuits. But it's just wild that we're doing this in 2023 because there's so much evidence out there. And I mean, I get it. It's a private, you know, private building, private property. They have their own set of rules, you know, according to them. And and they want to, you know, maintain a certain decor or decorum or whatever. And that's fine. But, you know, it's. It's hard to it's hard to look away when there's a there's a pattern, you know. One lawsuit was was one thing. Now there's two lawsuits, and you know, unfortunately, both uh, individuals are African American. So, you know, you just kind of have to take a look and see that nothing may happen, you know, from these lawsuits. But hey, they're out there. So, all right, Evan, let's get to your most overlooked story. The most overlooked story this week is news that Texas is now beating California when it comes to utility level solar energy. Isn't that incredible? The state of oil and gas is beating out the state of fruits and nuts when it comes to solar. It is just, it it brings joy to my heart to see this. Here are the hard numbers. At the end of September, Texas had a little more than 18,000 megawatts of solar energy capacity on the grid, while California had a little more than 17,000. Now, this doesn't include those rooftop panels that you'll see driving through neighborhoods. California has us beat when you add those. But just looking at those big solar solar plants that'll be out in the desert or the middle of nowhere, or even some in the middle of cities. Like that is where Texas is winning. And it shows that sometimes you don't need to mandate green energy if you just remove the barriers to entry and have a low regulation market. Things will go in the right direction when it makes sense. And right now, solar is winning. And that's the big thing there, Evan, is that, hey, you want to go ahead and try to get into the solar game? Guess what? Permits are easy to get and we can get this approved. We're not waiting on other people. This is all regulated in Texas. That is helping a lot. Yeah, it, it really is great. But it also pisses me off sometimes when I see Republicans up in Austin try to erect new barriers to this, like saying they don't want to build the power lines we need to connect, say, offshore wind or new solar plants. Like, come on, that's not Texas. Texas is just build it. It'll be fine. I mean, this kind of makes sense uh, that that Texas is now winning in the solar because Texas is about a hundred thousand square miles larger than California. So there's a lot of land out there that's untapped. So as, as long as you have people willing to go out there and install these solar things, and hey, more power to them. Literally, that's a good point. 
All right, let's keep Texas hot. All right, I know we don't like the heat, but more sun means more energy. So I'm kind of okay with it now in a in a weird sense, right? So it's all good. We'll see what happens during the winter as well with less sun. So something to watch out there. My most overlooked story of the week, the numbers are in, gentlemen, and we know big events are an economic boom for the city, but the Beyonce Renaissance Tour added more than $18.2 million to the economy just from hotel rooms, according to Houston First Corp. Her tour was estimated to add $4.5 billion to the American economy, and we still haven't gotten numbers on other economic impacts from the Renaissance Tour coming to the city of Houston, right? We're thinking ticket sales, restaurants, drinks, going out, making it a big night. And then we also had the Renaissance Tour movie, which is going to be $22 a ticket to go watch. <laughs> so the economic boom from Beyonce is growing and we have some numbers as well. I thought this was really interesting. Just shows you how important these big events are. You know, just this week, we got headlines that the economy grew by 4.9% over the last quarter, which is huge. Folks didn't think it would grow that much. And as you dig down into what was driving it, people are pointing to Beyonce and Taylor Swift concerts are a big part of that spending that kept the economy growing. So I'd say thank you, Beyonce. Thank you. You know, th this actually makes me really happy because um, I have a lot of uh, photographer friends, artistic friends, painters, muralists. Uh, musician friends and everything like that and a lot of those people um, request grants from the Houston Arts Alliance the Houston Arts Alliance received almost 40 percent of that uh, hotel occupancy tax that the city uh, collects so hey more grants for artists sounds good to me oh wow that is awesome that's that's wonderful all right let's get to our moment of joy Marco what brought you some happiness this week so I went to see this uh, film with my father. Uh, it's called A Million Miles Away. Um, and, you know, it's one of the first times I've seen my father cry in a long time. So um, it, it stars uh, Michael Peña, who you may know from from several m movies. And um, it, he's uh, Jose Hernandez, who was a migrant farm worker who became an astronaut. And part of the part of the filming was done uh either here in Houston or it looked like Houston, you know, at the space center or around the space center. Um, and I, you know, for me, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a, a voter on the Academy Awards, but this is a pretty good movie. It has everything you need. It has humor. It has, you know, inspirational, uh, it has a, a bunch of everything that, that you would want to see and it's available on prime. So I saw it in the movie theater. I was invited to a, uh, to a pre-screening, but uh, I think it is available now on, on Amazon Prime. So, hey, go check it out. It's, it's really cool. Really cool story. Really funny. Really emotional. Um, I, I also shed a little thug tear, you know, because it's about a Mexican making cool things. So doing cool stuff. So, hey. You know, Michael Pena is just so talented. He's got such range. He's so great. And anything he's in is worth seeing. But also, I'm just so happy to see these stories about NASA, about a new generation of Americans is just something that resonates so well. Too many stories uh, that Hollywood tells have been caught in a very narrow frame. And it's just time to, to tear down those walls, blow it up and tell bigger, grander stories. Yeah, I, I was going to add on about Michael Pena, and I have a rule. If Michael Pena is in something, we watch it just because he's so good. He's so talented, and he just seems like a really good person. So you want to support him. And I actually heard an interview with Jose Hernandez, who the movie is about, as you mentioned, Marco, 
on 88.7 and he was just blown away by the fact that Michael Pena was playing him in a movie because he's alive and well so I love that and it's such a cool story I can't wait to watch it this was on my list but hearing you talk about it I'm gonna watch it hopefully this weekend and the real Jose Hernandez was actually in the movie. Uh, he was one of the guys that was helping Michael Peña into the space shuttle. So that was really cool to see. Because I had already, you know, read articles about uh, Jose Hernandez. So I knew how he looked like. And when I saw him in the movie, I was like, oh, this is amazing. That's awesome. That's so cool. Evan, how about you? What was your moment of joy? Uh, my moment of joy this week is the Rice University football gummy worms man. For those who haven't been following this, uh, people have been obsessed with a guy who's been on the sidelines at Rice football games giving players gummy worms. So finally, we started to get some reporting on him. He's an intern. His name is Daniel Domain. And apparently, the Rice coaches always try different ways to counteract the cramps and carbo deficiencies that happen when players are at football games. And so they tried one day gummy-based snacks, and it just worked perfectly. And so now at the next Rice football game this Saturday versus Tulane, Trolley brand gummy worms are going to be handing out free gummy worms to the first 2,000 students who show up. And I've got to say you should go because Rice is a football school now. They've got a winning record. They beat UH. And now I am confident we're going to beat Tulane, particularly when all of our players are powered by gummy worms. I love that. Tulane's going to be a challenge. That's a good team. And you know, when I first saw the gummy worm guy, Evan, my first reaction was, oh no, we're about to learn that this guy did something bad and he went viral. <laughs> that's my biggest fear. Yeah, we're yeah. going to get milkshaked yeah. up. We don't want anyone to get milkshaked up. Yeah, that's the thing, right? You never want to go viral. That's one of my big rules in life because if you go viral, the internet will dig up stuff about you and all of a sudden we find out that this guy did this or that and we're like, oh man, not gummy worm guy. So <laughs> I'm glad he's an intern. I hope, you know, there's no skeletons in this closet and this is just a fun story. So I love it. I want to know what's next. Like what's the next snack that's going to end up on a sideline? You're, are we going to get like hot Cheetos with, hot, with, with cheese or like raspas <laughs> or something with chamoy? You know, hey, one of these things are going to have to work. Yeah, something. You got to have that salt, right? And Chamoy has a bunch. You can need those electrolytes. Maybe that's the next big snack. Maybe U of H can try it, you know? (laughs) Then they can beat Texas, even though we got pretty lucky. (laughs) Ooh, I like it. Okay, my moment of joy, full disclosure, I am an Ismaili Muslim, but I'm going to talk about a story that I saw earlier this week, and it was when Mayor Turner and other city leaders joined Ismaili leaders to celebrate the topping ceremony at the new Ismaili Center in Montrose, located right across Buffalo Bayou Park. This new building is gigantic, and it is the place to be. It's going to be the first of its kind in the U.S. It joins six other Ismaili centers across the world. The center will serve as a place for interfaith dialogue, community events, a religious space for the Ismaili community, which is a Shia sect of Muslims. The building sits on 11 acres right across Buffalo Bayou, and nine of those acres will be lush gardens designed by Thomas Waltz, the landscape architect behind Memorial Park. It's slated to open in 2025, but this topping ceremony was the big milestone now that the structure is complete, they can start working on the interior and finish out this incredibly beautiful building, which is going to serve as a milestone building for the city of Houston. 
I've been watching this thing in development for years. And I have to say, I was skeptical it would ever get done. And I'm so happy to be proven wrong. The building looks beautiful. Thomas Waltz is great. And I just can't wait to walk through the grounds and appreciate the whole thing. But I also want to point out that this location where it's being built is kind of infamous. It's kind of cursed. You know, it's where Houston had our first Sears store. Uh, and it was destroyed in a flood in like the 20s and 30s. And nothing else has ever been there. It constantly gets flooded. And so I just hope that they figured out how to deal with flooding at this one spot. Right. I was kind of I was looking through the photos on online about this uh, ceremony. I expected you to be there signing your name on that on that construction beam. Yeah, I know. Right. I should have been there. But no, I was busy uh, putting out award winning CityCast Houston podcast episodes. OK, so I was too busy. I couldn't fit it into my <laughs> schedule. But it was so cool to see that. And yeah, Evan, that is the big thing. Like when they picked that location, I think everyone started asking like, oh, what's going to happen with the flood mitigation? Like it is an area that does flood. And I'm sure they've thought about it. I haven't talked to anybody about that, but yeah, you just hope for the best, right? In Houston, you just hope for the best around there. Got to have flood insurance, you know? <laughs> All right, guys, that was a lot of fun. Marco, thank you so much. Evan, pleasure as always. And we will talk to you down the road. See you guys. Talk to y'all later. That was Evan Mintz and Marco Torres. All of the stories we discussed are linked in the show notes. That will do it for this week here on CityCast Houston. Our lead producer is Dina Kespa. Our producers are Carleon Jones and A.K. Al Moment. Our newsletter editor is Brooke Lewis, and the host is me, Raheel Ramzanali. Our music is by the band All the Kimonos. We'll be back on Monday with a look at state constitutional amendments on the ballot that will impact Houstonians. Thank you for listening, and I hope you learned something new.